Good to have all, all y'all folks here today. Lots of new faces. I know we got baptisms, and so you got drug here by your family to, to be a part of that baptism, some of you, but we're really glad you're here. And uh, we're in a series called Simple Gospel, and uh, it's about the book of Galatians. And what I want to do is just look at uh, this passage from Galatians we're going to be looking at, and then pray for us, and just pray for God's Word to kind of get down into us today and change us. So if you have a Bible, Galatians 5, starting verse 1, if you don't, it's going to be on the screen. If you have your little Bible app, whatever you need to do. Let's read and uh, step into this together here. So Galatians 5, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You are running a good race who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth. That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, you have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you that even though we are separated by 2,000 years and 6,000 miles from when this letter was written that we can find today a supernatural truth that changes us. And it's not because there's magic in these words, it's just simply because the Holy Spirit, the one who wrote these words, is here with us, is in us, and wants to use these words to change us, to shape our lives into being more like Jesus. And so today, Lord, wherever we're at on our spiritual journey, skeptical, not believing, believing, I pray that you speak to us. Meet us where we are, as you always do, and Holy Spirit come and move in power. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we've been in the series Simple Gospel. We're going through a book called Galatians. If you've never read Galatians before, it's in the New Testament, and it was written, most scholars think, around A.D. 48, uh, less than two decades after Jesus was actually crucified and resurrected. So it's a very early book, um, and it's written to some churches in modern-day southern Turkey, which is what back then was called Galatia. And it's written by Paul, uh, who wrote most of the New Testament. And Paul is writing to the Galatians. And as you can see by the language, he's very forceful. He's very passionate because after Paul came and planted this church 
in this, uh, these regions of Galatia, he planted these churches, there were some other Christians that came along after that, and they began to distort the gospel, to distort the good news of Jesus. And they distorted it not by being less religious or being pagan or something crazy. They distorted the gospel by being more religious, by being even more. See, they told these folks that you needed to have faith in Jesus. Yes, put your faith in Jesus. But on top of that, if you really want to please God, you got to obey all these 613 Mosaic laws in the Old Testament. And so, for other words, in other words, it means not only do you have to become a Christian, you had to become Jewish. You had to become culturally and religiously Jewish and keep these laws in order to please God and make him happy. And that, my friends, if you didn't know, is a distortion of the gospel. It's not the good news that I have to follow rules in order to impress and please God. What we talked about this whole series is that the gospel is something different. The gospel is an announcement, not of something you must do, but rather of something that has been done for you. What has been done for you. It's what Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection has accomplished for you and empowered you for. That is what the gospel is. It's something that's already taken place in the life of Jesus that has accomplished something in you, for you. And that means that the good news is not a new religion. It's not a new and higher set of laws that we have to figure out how to follow so we can please God. The good news is the end of religion. It's a new life. It's not religion. It's new life. Because a religion is all about how I get to God. It's about how I impress God, how I make God love me. But what makes the good news actually good is it's faith in Jesus that brings about God's blessing. It brings about his righteousness when we put faith in what Jesus has done for us and not what we can do for God. And, and this is, is, it opens up, it should, a whole new world of faith for us. Because if my focus is now, as we've talked about this whole series, not on following all of these rules and how good I'm doing, but if the focus is instead on what has Jesus done for me and empowered me it frees us for something big. And you, if you feel that freedom of, of leaving behind this constant struggle of, am I doing good enough? Am I pleasing God? And finally recognize that when Jesus looks at me, or when God looks at me, he sees Jesus. He sees the righteousness of Jesus. That feels like freedom. I don't have to deal with this stuff anymore. And it's why Paul says here in that verse, one, he says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Freedom, you know, with like some William Wallace business up in here. You know, you all feel that. Like, yes, like, freedom. You know what I'm talking about. You know, where he's getting stretched out and killed and whatnot. Like that, like, yes, we love freedom. We're, we're, we're Americans. We hear freedom. We think of, uh, you know, of, of, of bald eagles with mullets and t-shirts like waving flags. We love some freedom up in here. That's part of our national identity is to talk about freedom. In fact, freedom is so ingrained in our American culture, we may not realize that we project our understanding of freedom onto a passage like this, and that's a problem. In fact, it's always a problem when we are looking through the lens of 21st century American life and projecting that onto something in the Bible, and a lot of times it completely transforms what it actually says and distorts our understanding of, in this case, what freedom 
actually is. And so what I want to do today is, is, is separate these two, is to distinguish what our understanding of American freedom is and what Paul is actually talking about here. Because the most dangerous thing to us is not some sort of crazy religion out there. It's when we take Christianity and just twist it enough to where it doesn't actually look like Jesus anymore. So we have to understand what freedom in America is. And to understand that, you have to understand the history of America. America was founded in the Enlightenment. If you don't know what the Enlightenment is, it was a, a movement of thought that was taking place all over the Western world at that time where they had been under kings and rulers and authorities that had taken advantage of them. And so this, this movement was rising up where we all of a sudden realized the power and the potential of the individual, of the individual person. It's why when you read the Constitution, when you read the, the early documents about America, it's all about the power and the rights of the individual that all men are created equal. You read that right there in the Declaration of Independence in the Constitution, except for the, the slaves and the, the Native Americans that they left out in that part too. But that's a whole other sermon we could get to afterwards. They weren't created equal, but that was for another day as well. And so that became the, the driving force of this movement called America, that all people, all these individuals had freedom. We lived under this king who taxed us and ruled over us and, and abused us. And now this absolute power is gone. We don't have to deal with it anymore. Now through this government, through this new identity as Americans, we as individuals have power. We leave all that behind. You think absolute power would then leave. If we don't have kings or queens, then we don't have absolute power. But absolute power didn't actually change. It just shifted. It just moves somewhere else. Ralph Waldo Emerson, who's a, one of our greatest writers of, of, in American history, he said in 1830, wrote these words. He said, this, this country is full of rebellion. The country is full of kings. Hands off. Let there be no control and no interference in the administration of this kingdom of me. You see, we left behind kings and we left behind queens, but we did not lose absolute power. We just shifted absolute power to absolutely everyone. And so now, as we take this mindset forward a few hundred years to where we are now, we see this doctrine of individualism, which is not obviously a completely bad thing, being taken to its utmost in modern 21st century America to where all of our focus is on our individual rights, our freedoms, our desires. We view everything through what some have called radical individualism. You may not know this, but every story that you're watching on Netflix and what you see in the news, so much of this is driven by the, 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 the idea of individualism taken to its absolute utmost. So because of my freedom, it's primarily about me. I define my freedom as my ability to live any way I want as long as it doesn't hurt me. My identity is defined within me, by me, outside of the confines of society's expectations, outside of institutional expectations and constraints. My rights, they reign supreme. My rights to my body and my sexuality are reign supreme, but also my rights to my guns. And, and, and my money, don't take my money, don't take my guns. My rights reign supreme, and I 
I am the ultimate source of my freedom, my self-actualization. That is the focus of where I am heading, my happiness, my desires, my wants, all full and finally fulfilled, and then I am free. Does that sound familiar? Maybe you came in here and you feel that way today. I don't know. There's a good chance you do. That's kind of the way that we flow in our modern society, and it's not one political side or another political side. It's Everybody, everybody is focused on what can I get for me. That's the American definition of freedom. And like I said, it's not all bad. I'm just saying it's different. It's different from what Paul is actually talking about with freedom in this context. It's very different. And to explain this to us, he moves into a very odd topic. Circumcision. I bet you didn't think you'd come to church and talk about circumcision today. Um, and he, he spends the next 11 verses on this, including a verse in verse 12. And we're all adults here, mostly, I think. But he says in verse 12, maybe one of the sickest burns in the Bible. He says, for those of you who are preaching this, I wish you'd go ahead and just emasculate yourselves. Do you all understand what Paul just wrote in the Bible? This is in the Bible. I didn't write it. Don't get mad at me. Send an email to him. Like, this is right there. He is angry. I mean, that's a cutting remark, is it not? See what I did there. Mm, yeah. There we go. I needed that one. So he talks about the next 11 verses about circumcision. That's weird for us because we're modern and we don't think about these things. But in Jewish identity, in the Jewish world, the, the circumcision was the outward sign of what it meant to be a part of God's family. And so not only was it a religious thing, it was a cultural thing. So for everyone who's experiencing this, they, they knew that when I am circumcised, I belong. I am in. God has made his covenant with me. And so that's really the fullest and final thing of following his law and making me belong to God. And so these folks that are coming after Paul say, believe in Jesus, but you need another thing on the outside to show that you really are right with God, that you belong not only to God, but you belong to the family of God. And this is what Paul refers to as slavery. Why? Because if the gospel makes us right with God by faith, relying on any outward expression of religion to impress God is an outright denial of what Jesus has actually done for us. It's a denial of it. it we can't do anything to impress God. It's why Paul tells us in the, a few verses down, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. In other words, it does not matter how religious you look or how you act on the outside. It's faith in Jesus that's actually producing this life in us. And religion outside of that is, to Paul, slavery. Absolute slavery. We talked a lot about religion in this series. Last week, we talked about the question of, of, of do all religions lead to God? And we came to a pretty startling of understanding of this in that we said none of them do. Even the Christian ones. Because you can't follow a set of rules, even Christian rules, and make your way to God. The good news is not that Christianity's laws is superior to the other religions. The good news is that we can't get to God, and God actually came to us in Jesus. 
Jesus to restore us so that we could restore the world. And, and the, if we, as we take that thought and move it out forward, we, we understand that the dirty little secret of religion is that it puts the focus off of God and actually puts the focus entirely on you, squarely on you, because your focus ends up being constantly, am I doing enough? And if I am feeling like by my standard I'm doing enough, I'm filled with pride. I know that I am religious and good. Or if I don't feel like I'm reaching that standard, I'm filled with despair. God, forgive me. I'm always screwing up. I'm constantly... And it seems like you're very faithful and religious, but in reality, you're more focused on your sin. You're more focused on yourself than you actually are on God himself. And that's a problem. If you're more focused on your spirituality than you are on the Spirit of God Himself, you have lost what Christianity is all about. It's why, for me, one of the most terrifying verses in Scripture comes in Matthew 7. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is is talking about this in very sobering, clear ways. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Jeez. They just healed people and did miracles, Jesus. I mean, this is good stuff. Don't you want prophecies? Don't you want miracles? Don't you want demons cast out? I'm pro-demons cast out. Is anybody non-demon cast out fans? I'm for it. I'm for miracles and all those things. But Jesus is saying you can be religiously like, successful and not know me and not be in relationship with me. You can be on the outside everything you think you're supposed to be. But if you don't know me, you've actually walked into a place of what Paul calls slavery. And he's not talking to a bunch of pagans or people in a different religion. He's talking to religious people. He's talking to people who are passionate, who are zealous. It's so easy to be passionately, zealously running in the wrong direction away from God and thinking that our religion is actually impressing him. That's what Paul calls slavery. And if we add the idea of what America identifies as freedom and what Paul calls slavery, they in many ways line up. Religion and American life sort of line up because if, if the focus is entirely on me all the time, that's, that's actually what Paul refers to as slavery. Real, real slavery, whether it's religious or it's not religious, is a life that is entirely focused on you. And that can be expressed in very, very religious ways, obviously. And that can be expressed in very, very non-religious ways. It puts us at the center. It makes us, as much as we talk about God and do things for God, it really makes us, let's be honest, it makes us God. So we take all this and we need to look at Paul and how he actually defines what freedom is. So we look in verse 13. At the end of our passage, he says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor 
as yourself. So we talk a lot about what Jesus frees us from. He frees us from sin. He frees us from, from death and brings about our new life, gives us his resurrection life. And when, when he died on the cross, he became our sin. He gives us his righteousness. We're freed from that sin because of what he's done. Because of the cross and resurrection of Jesus, we can fully and finally say for all of us in Christ that we are free. We are free from those things. But the gospel's not just about what we're freed from. It's also, as Paul is telling us here, what we're freed for. We're freed from our sin, from rebellion. We're freed from death, but we are freed for so much more. Don't stop in just what we're freed from. Move into the life of Jesus and see what we're freed for, which Paul defines as love for God and love for neighbor. Remember earlier, he said the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. So how does Paul define freedom? How do we define freedom Real freedom is growing in our love for God and of our neighbor. You are free to the degree that you love God and love your neighbor more and more and more and more. That's where freedom is fully expressed in love coming out of you, bubbling up out of you, and bringing life and love for God and for our neighbors. If you've been to a wedding before, they're always reading this 1 Corinthians passage um, because it talks a lot about love. Even like the weddings I've been to and done that these people are not Christians, they're like, hey, I think we should probably have something in the Bible because it's a wedding, I guess. So I've always heard this 1 Corinthians passage, and I guess we should do that one. And it, it's, it's, it's a good passage. It's, it's weird that it's become the wedding passage, I guess, because it's about love. But there's other things that's happening in there. But as it begins, it says, if I speak in the tongues of of men and angels, if I prophesy and if I have knowledge, if I have faith that can move mountains, if I can give everything to the poor, all of those things, if I do all that but I don't actually have love, I'm nothing. And so I want to close today as we move into a, a, a time of, of transition here, of response, um, with, with a little bit of a, an, a kind of a modern retelling of what this 1 Corinthians 13 is. And I want to let this be a prayer over us. And so why don't we just go ahead and close our eyes and bow as we move into this time. See, if I follow every rule in the Bible, and I live as holy as I can, but if I don't have love, I've never really obeyed. If I serve every week and I show up to church on a regular basis, but I don't have love, I've never really showed up. If I lend my voice to all the right causes and I passionately plead for justice in our society, but if I don't have love, I've been nothing but white noise. If I read all the right books and I follow my diet perfectly so I can find my true self, but if I don't have love, I've actually lost who I am. If I travel to all the best places and eat all the best food and succeed in living my best life and yet I don't have love, I've actually squandered it all. We are free today to the degree that we have love for God and love for others. So today we just just get real. It is so, so easy turn our lives inward on us.
turn our spirits and our efforts inward and focus our lives on ourselves and not on God. So Jesus, we confess that. We come before you today and in a world where our freedom has been called slavery and our slavery has been called freedom. And we are torn in so many different ways, Lord. So have mercy on us. But we thank you today for those of us who have grown up under the bondage of religion and constantly worried about whether we've done enough to impress you. But the good news is today that you look at us right now and you declare over us in this place, that is my son, that is my daughter, with whom I am well pleased. You say to us, you don't have to keep trying so hard to figure it out. Because today I've done everything you need for you. You can come to me today knowing that I have accomplished everything on your behalf and you are no longer a slave. You are a son. You are a daughter. And you do not have to look elsewhere for that love and for that acceptance. Because I give it to you today. You've never not had it. It's always been here in Jesus. So Lord, speak that over us. For those of us who are tired and weary and worn out from religion, for those of us who have been burned, for those of us who are either in a place of pride because we feel like we live up to our standards, or those of us who are in a place of despair because we feel like we can measure, never measure up today for both sides, there is good news. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. So Jesus, we come to you today. We lay down our religion. We lay down our trying harder. We lay down our pride. We lay down our despair. And we come to you to receive the love that you've called us to give. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to take a time of response now together as we do every week as a community. And we respond in a few different ways. Um, we have uh, communion here. And what we do is we take a piece of the bread and we dip it to the juice. The bread represents Jesus' body uh, and, and the juice represents his blood. We remember the sacrifice of what Jesus has done every week because we, we know we need constant reminders of this freedom that we have in him. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, don't feel like you have to be a part of restoration or anything. You can come and, and take communion. Maybe today's the first time you've, you're putting your faith in Jesus. Come and take communion. Take Jesus. Let's let this day be the first time. Also, we're going to have people in the back that are going to be, uh, that want to pray for you about something today that God's speaking to you or maybe something completely different. We pray for people every week. It's our honor and our joy. And if that's not you, maybe this time is just a time to reflect on maybe what God is saying as you take communion and you share together. For whatever that is, though, we encourage you to come and to receive what God is speaking to you today. So why don't we stand and let's take communion together.